I usually say at this time, uh, take out your Bibles, but I'm going to ask you to take out your order of worship. Right past the, um, the title of the sermon is uh, a verse and, uh, and an outline, and I'm going to invite you to take this home. I hope it's something that, I hope today begins something with you. And while you're finding that, um, I, I want to say hello to two folks, uh, Aaron Jackson and I met this week, two brothers, Dustin and Derek live over near Athens, and they watch, they worship with us every week, and we appreciate them. And so many of you uh, who worship with us, you're part of our extended family, and we're deeply grateful that Dustin and Derek and so many of you would, would join us. It's a real honor to have you all. I have a, a, a conviction, and by conviction I mean a sense that there's something that's not, uh, that's not all it should be, and it, it, it begins with me. That conviction is that uh, it's been a long time since I've had a, a gospel conversation with somebody who is not a follower of Jesus. I have a lot of relationships outside uh, the, this church family, and I'm grateful for them, and I have a lot of conversations about church, but it's been, it's been too long since I sat with someone who is not a follower of Jesus and had a conversation about what it might mean in a respectful and kind and generous way of what it might mean for them to follow Jesus. I've been recently um, convicted of that or burdened by that, and, and so it begins with me, but it, I also believe that about our church. I, I simply believe that a church of our size and our resources should be seeing more people who have that, that transformative experience so dramatic that Jesus called it a new birth. I'm grateful for everybody who joins our church, of course, those who join hands and hearts with us, but, but I'm talking now not about new members, I'm talking about not new members of this church family, but new members, members of the family of God. And we, I believe deeply, have got to do better about that. We're going to do some training after the holidays. Today I'm going to talk about individuals, you and me, living intentionally toward people who Jesus longs for people Jesus longs for, and next week we'll talk about what that means for us as a church. First Thessalonians 2.8 is there on your outline. It will guide us. Let me read it, and then we'll walk through it. This is Paul writing, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, I want us to let that verse guide us for the next few minutes as we talk about living intentionally toward people Jesus longs for. First of all, he said, we loved you so much, so let's love people Jesus longs for. I'm afraid some of us have rather cold, even hard hearts toward people who are different, toward people whose choices, toward people whose decisions, toward, towards people who would see important things uh, differently than we would see them. Jesus' detractors uh, thought they were putting him down when they called him a friend of sinners, but that was not a, that was not a put down. He would have been very proud to, to bear that badge. I'm not sure that, uh, that all of us would be called uh, friends of sinners. 
I read this week a wonderful book titled Evangelism Without Additives, and I read about Chris. Chris is uh, a man who lives intentionally toward people Jesus longs for, and he, Chris works at a retail store, and a man came in, he said, um, dressed in, he had long black hair, dressed in all black, and uh, he, um, he had way too many tattoos for Chris's tastes, and he reeked of cigarette smoke. And uh, he came in and he asked Chris, do you all have Zippo lighters? Apparently, Zippo is not just another lighter, like people who ride Harley-Davidson's. They don't, those are, it's not a motorcycle, it's a Harley, it's different. So apparently Zippos are unique. So this man wanted to know, do you have Zippo lighters? Now, let's pause the movie for a moment right there. Uh, many of us would have, would have written him off, uh, maybe been at least cool toward him. But uh, Chris lives intentionally toward people who Jesus, for whom Jesus, uh, people Jesus longs for. I get it right, people Jesus longs for. And, um, and so he said, no, we don't carry Zippo lighters, but I'd like to see yours. And so the man pulled, uh, pulled out his Zippo lighter and showed, showed it to Chris. And uh, the, it was a, the design on the lighter was skeletons sitting around a table. And the man said, this is how I see things. We're all dead already. Pause the movie again. Most of us at this point, if we hadn't written him off before, would have written him off here. This guy's weirder than we thought we might have said to ourselves. But Chris lives intentionally toward people Jesus longs for. And he said, I understand. He said, that's interesting. But I'm a Christian and I think God has more for us in this life. Now, I'd like to tell you that this man dressed in black that reeked of cigarette smoke prayed the prayer to become a follower of Jesus in that conversation, but he didn't. But by the end of that conversation, the man asked Chris, could my son come to your church sometime? Well, we're not going to make much of a difference in the world if we don't love the world. And some of us, I'm afraid, have rather cold, even hard hearts toward people who are different. Jesus was a friend of sinners. So he says, we loved you so much. Next, he says, we were delighted to share with you. He says the gospel, but let's just skip to the next one, our lives. So let's, I, I, we were delighted, he said, to share our, with you our lives. So let's share our lives with people Jesus longs for. Some of us don't know anybody who's not a Christian. Our circles, some of us have circles so small that we don't really, we don't really know anybody at least close enough to have a conversation with. If, if our circles have shrunk to the point that they only include fellow Christians, we, have, we need bigger circles. If our conversations only include believers, we need bigger conversations. Now, for some of us, that would mean something new, maybe a new hobby to meet new people. It might mean sitting at a new table in the, at school or at work. Now, some of, you are, some of you are introverts, I know that, and you're thinking, gosh, you know, it's easy for extroverts because they always want to talk. But for, you know, introverts, it's, it's a little harder. But I want you to think about this. There are a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus who are introverts, and they don't want to be bombarded by these big personalities of extroverts because extroverts can be obnoxious. Can I get an amen from the introverts? <laughs> See, they were a little, they kind of hated to say anything, the introverts did, but they were. So maybe, the, maybe as an introvert, maybe somebody would like a little more subtle approach, a little quieter approach. Maybe not to be 
bombarded, but so let's share our lives. Let's make sure our lives are big enough, by, by big enough, I mean broad enough that our relationships are wide enough so that we can share our lives with people who are, to quote Ephesians 2.12, without hope and without God in the world. So he says, we loved you so much. Let's love people. And then he said, we share our lives. He also says, we shared the gospel of God. We were delighted to share with you the gospel. So let's Let's share the gospel with people Jesus longs for. Now, I know that's a bit unnerving. We don't want to blow it, right? We don't want to say something that would drive people away. We're a little bit intimidated. We don't want to be asked questions that we don't have answers to. And frankly, many of us don't want to be rebuffed. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be thought of as weird. And so most of us are not having as many conversations outside the faith with people Jesus longs for. We're not having as many conversations as we, as we ought to. So I want to lower your anxiety. And I think I can. If you'll, if you'll look at it this way, all you have to do is put the ball in play. Now, I never could hit a a baseball. It's a round, a round thing, trying to hit it with a round bat, and when you get to the big leagues, it's coming 95 miles an hour, but whether you're in little league or the big leagues, it's hard to hit a baseball. Now, there are a few baseball players, batters, that are so skilled that even though the ball's coming at 95 miles an hour, they can, they can delay for a millisecond or swing a millisecond earlier and try to place the ball, you know, this way or that way. But most batters, all they want to do is put the ball in play. They just want to make contact, solid contact, and hope it squeaks between the shortstop and the second baseman or somebody out there. It, all they want to do, really, is put the ball in play and hope something good happens. That is what, that's all we have to do. When we're gonna, if we're going to have a faith conversation, all we have to do is put the ball in play. We don't, we don't, in fact, we shouldn't manipulate the conversation. There are lots of programs for evangelism that will tell you how to guide the conversation so that you can ask these preconceived questions or, you know, pre-memorized questions and all that. But I think people can sniff out manipulation. So I'm, I'm suggesting that if if we want to get serious about living intentionally toward people Jesus longs for, all we have to do is put the ball in place. So you might say, um, you know, uh, I, I go to church. What do you, what do you think of, if you would say, you be honest with me, what do you think about church? Or you, uh, you might say, um, if, if Christians would listen, what would, you, what would you want to tell them? Or you might say, what do you do on the weekends? We, we love to watch football on Saturday afternoons, then we go to church on, on Sundays. That's not a threatening comment. And, and you just put the ball in play and see what happens. Don't try to manipulate the conversation. Just see what God might do if you put the ball in play. But what if it works? What if, what if somebody says, you know, this is the third time this month that I've had this conversation. So, what is this about? How, how do I become a follower of Jesus? Well, then you, you need to be 
prepared. So, there are three things. One, tell your story. Two, articulate the gospel. And three, invite people to church. It's as simple as that. First, tell your story. There have been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of talk about UFO sightings recently. Have you been keeping up? Or not UFOs, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Back in July, there were three retired military folks testified before Congress saying that the government knows more about these UAPs than they're letting on. Reminds me of a movie that some of you might remember from 1997, Contact. It was a lady that had contact with some aliens. She was Dr. Arroway, a character played by Jodie Foster. And it was a big national story. She'd been contacted by these aliens, but she didn't have any proof. She was called before Congress, and she was ridiculed uh, by the congressman. And this is what she said. Would you listen carefully? I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything as a human, everything I know as a human being, everything I am, tells me it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. I wish I could share that. I wish everyone could feel that awe, that humility, that hope. That continues to be my wish. Now, of course, that's fiction. She's talking about contact with aliens. I, I'm talking about, though, your contact with the, with the Lord of the universe. And being willing to say, I, I can't prove it like somebody would prove a scientific matter, but I, but I had an experience. And I can't answer all your questions, but this is my story. In John 9, Jesus healed a blind man, and they, some religious leaders asked him a theological question he couldn't answer. And he, he said, I, I don't know, but what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. So you can tell your story. I grew up in a home where my mom and dad were Christians, or my mom and dad didn't go to church. My grandmother took me to church. Or I was in high school at Young Life, and somebody talked to me about Jesus. Or I got married, and I wasn't a believer, but my husband was. Or whatever your story is, or just tell your story. I don't know, but I, I know I was blind, and now I see. So uh, tell your story. Second, be, be prepared to articulate the gospel. And here's where it gets a little tricky. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? On your outline, there is a mere suggestion, and it's go-go. Now, uh, again, this is not, you know, there's not, it, in the book of John, go-go, you're not going to find it there, but it's, I learned this somewhere along the way, and it's helpful for me when someone does ask the question, G-O-G-O, -O, God's intentions. God's, in, God's intentions for us are that we, live for, that we live a life at its best and live forever. That intention was painted in a picture in, in Eden, at the beginning of Genesis, where relationships were great and relationships between humans and God were, were perfect. And that's what God intends for us, life at its best and life that never ends. Oh, but our problem, we have a problem, and that is that we have messed things up. That in that garden, the humans messed up. They decided that they, they knew more than God, and they, made, they rebelled, they made bad decisions, and evil entered the world, and now we're born, all of us, with this overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, every one of us. And we can't fix that problem 
on our own. The Bible says we're sinners, meaning we fall short of God's intentions. We can't, we can't fix that problem. And so God's intention is life at its best and life that never ends. And our problem is, is that this overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. And then God's answer well, is, is Jesus. We celebrate that at Christmas. Jesus, God became flesh in the person of Jesus, and he became fully human without giving up his divinity, his godness. And so, Jesus is the God-man, and he lived and he loved like nobody ever has, and his miracles and his teachings demonstrate God's desire to, to fix those broken relationships. And, and then Jesus died at the hands of Roman soldiers because people thought he was a religious rabble-rouser. And and I can't explain it, but when he died, beautifully, mysteriously, he made possible the forgiveness of those things that are wrong inside me. And our ultimate hope is in the fact that Jesus was dead on Friday, but he was alive again on Sunday. So God's intention, life that never ends and life at its best. Our problem is this overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. God's answer is Jesus. Now, our response is to is to follow Jesus. That was Jesus' most common invitation, follow me, which means we surrender, we, we follow his teachings, we follow his example, we, we follow him into the world to fulfill God's purposes for the world, and that gives us meaning and purpose. When we, we follow Jesus, he transforms us and empowers us. And God's intent is life that never ends and life at its best. Our problem is our overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. God's answer is Jesus and our response. The ball is in our court. Our response is to follow Jesus. Now, don't follow that woodenly. Don't get into a conversation and say, oh, I got to hurry so I can get to that go-go thing. You know, don't do that. Just put the ball in play and, and see what what might happen. And if somebody does ask, then you're ready to give an answer for the hope that is inside you. That's what the Bible says, to be ready. So if not go, go something. Something, be, be ready to articulate the gospel. Tell your story. And, and you know it's unique to you. Tell your story. Second, be prepared to articulate the gospel. And then, and then third, just invite people to church. We lived in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. I was still in seminary and I was pastor of the Valley Creek Baptist Church. And um, our family was growing. Uh, Brennan was born. Carrie was working a couple of days a week. And so two days a week, Brennan, our, our daughter, our middle child, stayed with Devonda Edlin. Devonda was great, had two kids of her own. Her husband, Charlie, was a wonderful man, a real family man, a hard worker, super guy. But Charlie didn't even pretend to be a follower. Jesus never came to church. He was glad for his wife and kids to go, but he, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, it didn't seem to be of value to him. So he was not a, not a follower of Jesus and didn't pretend to be. But he and Carrie were buddies and they often bantered back and forth, and, and Carrie would say to Charlie every once in a while, Charlie, there's a pew at Valley Creek Baptist Church with your name on it. He said, there's no pew with my name. Oh, yes, there is, she'd say. And then one night, the kids were having a program, and uh, Charlie's kids were in the program, and Carrie looked back, and at the entrance 
There stood Charlie. So Carrie grabbed a pen and a, and a piece of paper. And she wrote, Charlie. And she ran and put it in a pew pretty near the front. And she ran back and she got Charlie by the elbow and she brought Charlie down there and she said, look, I told you. And he laughed and he said, well, there is a pew with my name on it. And he sat there. I don't think he came back the next Sunday or the Sunday after that. I wish he had. I wish I could say, you know, she told Charlie there's a pew with his name on it. And I got to baptize Charlie because he became a Christian soon after that, but he didn't. We wrapped up there, moved to Nigeria as missionaries. Then one day we got a, a postcard. It's from Russia. It's St. Peter's up there. It says, um, greetings from St. Peter's. I'm told this church is looking for a pastor. I gave them your name. Expect a call any day. I never did, never did get a call. Never did hear from St. Peter's. But it's from Charlie. After we left, Charlie started going to church, and Charlie got real involved. And Charlie became a follower of Jesus. Another pastor got to baptize him. And at the bottom of this card, I wish you could read it. I might not be here if someone hadn't put my name on a church pew. Just invite people to church. But that's not the end of the story. So um, we, we had to come back. Some of you know my dad died. We had to come back from Nigeria. I became pastor at First Baptist Church of Mount Washington, Kentucky, which is between Elizabethtown, where, where Charlie lives, and Louisville, and not terribly far from Fort Knox. That's where Charlie was working. So Charlie was working at Fort Knox with a young man named Brian. We would call Brian a seeker. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he was interested. And from time to time, Charlie would just put the ball in play. And every once in a while, he'd drop him a Bible verse or something. And Brian got, got real interested, and he, he, became, he became the one that started initiating the conversations. And, and he lived, Brian, Brian and his wife, um, Lynette, uh, lived not too far from Mount Washington. So Charlie said, you know, you, a couple of my friends are at First Baptist Mount Washington. It's not too far from there. You ought to, you ought to go and try it out. Brian and, Brian and Lynette came to First Baptist Mount Washington, and, and they came back, and they came back, and one Sunday morning I baptized Brian and Lynette because Charlie put the ball in play. And because Carrie said there's a pew at church with your name on it. You never know. You never know. So let's love people that Jesus longs for. Enough to share our lives with them, even if it means, if it means new hobbies, new ways of moving about to meet new people. And let's, let's share the gospel with people, which means tell your story, articulate the good news, and invite people to church.
At the end of your outline, there's, a, there's my new prayer. And I'm wondering if anybody will join me, and we're not going to raise our hands and all that, but I'm wondering if anybody would join me in this new daily prayer of mine. I'm going to read it out loud. With God's help, I will remain morally and ethically pure so that I won't taint the image of Jesus. I don't want, I don't want to make Jesus look bad. I will pray, study, and worship privately and corporately so as to be spiritually prepared to be a witness when the time comes, or times come. I will seek and nurture relationships beyond my Christian circles. I will pray daily for those Jesus longs for. I will broach spiritual subjects with the prayer that they will lead to transformative conversations. So, dear Father, give me compassion for people who don't know Jesus. Open doors for spiritual conversations and grant me discernment to see those opportunities. Make me courageous enough to speak up. Remind me always that I am compelled by grace, not judgment. By the power of the Holy Spirit, compensate for my inadequacies, and they are many. Confirm your truth, for I can't do that, and draw people to you. I wonder if anybody will join me in that daily prayer.